Hello everyone from this absolutely uh, insane setting of mine. Um, Alessandra is not quite that flash. Hi. Hi, uh, and uh, welcome from Boston. I've gone from California all the way to the other side of, of the U.S., so I'm now home and uh, fully accompanied by my pug on my lap. So if you hear snoring, that's what that is. Go back to sleep. So if you hear any snoring, that's the pug. If you hear uh, any breeze and any uh, palm trees, that's the Lanzarote uh, backdrop. <laughs> This is a perfect way for us to talk about some of the things that we were chatting about before we recorded, which is, you know, balancing who you are uh, with being professional, which we talked about a little bit last time. And then also, how do we re-engage when we take time away for ourselves um, and come back to being kind of that transitioning back into our work self? Right. And, and we know, right, that different people need different things. And I, I do believe that leaders, as they went through their professional lives, they have um, spent the time to figure out what works for them, right? That even if they don't want to, even if they haven't sat down organizedly, they would have done. And it kind of, we all know whether, the, almost like choice number one is, do we separate life and work? That's one of the kind of almost the big things we need to decide for ourselves. Um, and we all would like to, right? Because we have this presumption that it cannot have life. You, you shouldn't, what is it, to, work, leave to work, but you should work to leave. Okay? Right. And so we all would like that. So the time off, the, ideally, we work a little bit and we party a lot. That's everyone's <laughs> idea in life, right? Unfortunately, that doesn't work at all. And also more unfortunately, in a, in a sense, and I think relevant for all of us leaders is if if we are asked to now be visible and be on social media and be very present with our people and be very human and be very normal and, and alive, then unfortunately that separation is going to, I think, be even more um, gone because realistically yeah. we, you can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe other people can do it, but I can't really do it where I make the separation that clear. So I've accepted no, I the combination instead. Yeah, right. The combination, right? How do you balance that? But I think we talked last time too about, and then having the impression management, but that aligns with who you want to be as a leader. Like, what do I stand for? You know, I I uh, saw a TikTok this morning that was a guy talking about, well, when you're a leader, you no longer have the right to emotions or feelings or uh, any of, you know, you can't think about yourself anymore. Being a servant leader means you no longer matter. Uh, <laughs> so much bad advice out there. It's insane. It's, I mean, if you yeah. don't matter, how are you going to ever show anyone how to be human and how to be worthwhile? Exactly. Exactly. So, and we just, I just posted on uh, LinkedIn, this study that came out where they did brain scans as people watched coaching, different types of coaching. Um, and they saw that tell coaching should language, you should be this way, you should do this, telling people just absolutely does not activate the part of our brain that helps us learn. It puts us on the defense, just, just organically, biologically. Um, we're, we're trying to do something that we are not wired to do. So when we Say things like, uh, better understand yourself, use your values to help guide your decisions. That, that's when it showed that it activated the learning part of our brain. So we just know physically 
this way that we've been working just doesn't work. Now, I think that when you say stuff like that, people are like, right. But so what, what should I be doing? And why does this matter to me? And I think maybe maybe this is kind of the dissonance we fight against all the time, my Sunday, is the fact that people get it in theory. And as soon as they have to apply that lens to themselves or the environment they're in, that clarity disappears, right? It's this dissonance we've been talking about. And um, and I think you're perfectly right. Being The thing is, we're asking for people to change how they've done things all along, right? This, this leadership style that they've learned from school, they've come style, leadership, all, all in a... All in quotation marks because obviously neither is uh, it leadership nor style when you are simply commanding, controlling, and barking orders. Uh, but but that is what they know. And and when you come from a place of fear, you then have to kind of carry on with that. If you're not going to carry on with that, you're going to change your 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 tune towards servant leadership. You, I think you should consider what it means. I think if you're ever a manager that says, "I want to be a different type of person or a different type of leader with my people," wonder what kind. Because do you know what? There are many kinds out there of, of terminologies and people bandy all these terms around, whether it's servant, whether it's empathic, whether it's 2.0, whether it's adaptive. Forget what it's called. Just be what kind of human do I want to be? Because I'd rather we walked away from the topics. That, uh, I want to be for real. I want to be me and I want to be kind and I want to be with you. Um, that was you. I don't know what, where, where, what, what that was. I don't know if that was a, a shooting. I heard that noise on your side. Have you heard it? You heard that noise on my side? I apologize. Yeah. No worries. It was my parrot. Okay. That's... <laughs> I, am I annoying the parrot? Is it parroting me? The parrot just decided to fly in here and announce and make sure that we all knew he was here. So now no, we I all know he's here. It is how little I see of the screen. <laughs> he's, he's behind the screen. He's over there now. Um, anyway, I thought he was caged. He is not. This is what happens when you don't clip their wings. Anyway, but so that's why it's so important to be grounded in what do you want to stand for as a leader? It's, right. You know, it's funny. I, I presented this topic to um, a group of uh, nutrition and uh, food and nutrition. Hold on. Sorry. No, what is uh, you know, while you do that, let me let me say something else that is interesting, and we'll come back to it maybe. Um, hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully interesting, not hopefully come back. Which is the the other day I was reading a study um, and, and hearing a talk that had to do with what is the one success factor for in general in life. You know, leadership, kids, whoever wants to make it. What what's the success factor? And and um, it's it's a famous TED talk actually, and I think it's worth looking at from a, from a really interesting. Um, set of of uh, of um, researchers that have worked with with the science of of neurobehavioral adaptation if you wish and what they came up with in in really um relative terms please go look it up properly i don't remember details is that um the the quality they could see in common between the, a predictor of success was be, uh, be, uh, beyond and above up now what is it called up and above or over the value of IQ or EQ or any other kinds of values was the value of grit. 
Um, and after they've explained this, they've tried to bring it back to basics. What does grit mean? Is it just resilience? Is it a willingness to do a lot? Is it kind of... And, and I, I think what they're proposing is they, they also linked it to the study where children, very young children, were given visuals and, and, and supportive information that the brain is capable to change. That was literally the one difference they could find between people with grit and not grit were people who had what they call a growth mindset. So people who knew that there is no limit, there is no, uh, that failure is not permanent, that when you did something wrong, it's not staying in that state, but you have to continuously grow, that we are continuously evolving. So in other words, the only people who eventually ended up doing anything were the ones who had the perseverance because they knew that is a possibility. So if we don't tell our kids, our leaders, our new workers that the, the growth mindset and the continuous improvement thing is a thing they need for themselves, for life, we can't help them. Right. But here's the thing. Uh, let's just talk about how, how that, what that means in real life, right? So we grow up, at least in the U.S., through an educational system for 12 years that is pretty darn binary. It's pretty much, you know, pass, fail, um, mistakes will be graded and you will be measured according, accordingly. Uh, and so we've reinforced this mind, this binary mindset of win, lose. Um, and especially when it comes to things like standardized testing, where we then teach to the test. I mean, there's all these things we put in place that do not teach or reinforce a growth mindset. Right. Um, and so we talk to kids about it. Like I've had my kids get taught what a growth mindset is, but we don't put in the behavior and the structure that reinforces it. Right? That's exactly the problem, both in business and in life, right? We know this stuff. This is what we were saying earlier. The dissonance is between knowing it and putting it in practice. It's kind so, of what breaks. Yeah, exactly. So back to the leader part, right? So, one of the things I think uh, people operate from a place of fear is I don't want to stand out or be different in a neg pejorative, negative way from my peers, or I want to be able to fit culture fit. We talked about that last time. Um, however, so that takes bravery, that takes courage. Um, and that, that also, in some ways, takes privilege. If I can afford the risk of taking the, you know, yeah. of losing my job, that enables me to do more and be more, be more brave. And we acknowledge so, that privilege for our part every time, I hope, that everyone knows we're not claiming everyone else should be as cray-cray and as honest as we are. Uh, we get it. Yes. But let's just put that, let, let's acknowledge that and kind of uh, think about that as in context. Um, taking care of yourself is an internal action, self-reflection, self-compassion, acceptance. That's internal. That does not need to be externalized. Right. Um, if you do not feel safe. And um, that and, is hugely impactful in how you show up as a leader, right? And that even goes for branding, right? Once you start working on that and on your continuous improvement, it doesn't need to be external. You don't need to immediately get fired because you're out there, but you need to start working on this yourself, right? Like you say, it can be still internal and not putting you in any kind of danger for a while. But I think we have these mental models of what it means to be a leader. Um, and, uh, you know, that sense of I, I absolve myself of having emotions. I 
um, I'm no longer allowed to have feelings. I'm no longer allowed to have needs because now I am a leader. Um, and that's just not real. That, that is not, there's no switch that we just go click and we turn to, uh, I'm going to be real nerdy, the Vulcan with no emotions. Um, <laughs> right. That's just not real. And so um, acknowledge. So I think one, we have to raise awareness, which is what people in our secret society are doing raise awareness that you are human, not a machine, and you will have feelings. And that period. would be okay. If we just, enough to make right? if we just say that, that, imagine how much different work work would be yeah. if we just change the mindset of, oh, it's not personal, it's business. Yes. All Be-ass. of it. Yes. <laughs> it's not personal, it's business. This is how we behave around here. Uh, I, I, look, I, I completely agree. I, and I, I know that people are in, like I said, in very different personal situations. They're not in a place where we could do it. But if we could do it, if it were okay, if there was a switch tomorrow, if, if we could have, imagine we could have, a, 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 uh, everyone would be equipped with a lie detector in a meeting. Yeah? And we would then, at the end of it, look to see how many times we've either refrained or blatantly lied. I think we would be surprised. The the, the the mass psychosis that often happens in, in, in some of these organizations that have more human debt than others, this allows us to kind of get out of it at all. It, 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 the, a, moment of, a moment clicks in that leadership team where no one is willing to speak up and point, right, at naked emperors, like I say. Uh, because now the norm in this particular uh, group is of no psychological safety, is of n- no courage, right? So if you start having that norm and you don't attack it at every corner and you don't every time come up with it. And I look, this is not even just leadership. I think starting to live this kind of super authentic, super courageous, this is what I genuinely believe in, I will tell you all the time sort of thing is one, empowering and feels good, I really. And secondly, just useful because you can go on in your professional life and even in your personal life knowing you're delivering on the same vision and purpose that you've agreed with people on and and you can keep for them so i I know you have to get comfortable with rejection oh right and you have to get comfortable with right exactly no longer being a people pleaser but more being um you know thought thoughtful and humane and kind right still live your values don't don't yeah Yes, I like, I like that. I don't know if you, our listeners are familiar with it, but the, you you must know about the pack model, um, where these this incredible psychologist has come up with a, an explanation as to, if you wish, what are the roles in communication, and in very simplistic terms, we can be either a child, a parent, or an adult, and. I think at work, we often want to pretend we're adults, but what's happening is everyone lives in this adaptive child phase where they glare at the enterprise and they're disconnected and there's no one around to be nurturing parents. There's only like this enterprise thing that's going to sanction them, punish them, kick them out, cut something, make them suffer somehow. Um, and there's no one to that they can show off for. There's It's, it's, it's a very unpleasant state of communication that we have created in most of our organizations. So I encourage everyone to look a little bit at the pack model and presume, where am I in this conversation? Am I a child? Am I a parent? Am I an adult? And as a leader, I think you always need to show up 
as a nurturing parent, even if you want to show up as an adult and say, what the hell is wrong with you? Let's all be grown up. Or even if you want to show up as an adaptive child, but I don't want to do this thing either. You can't do any of those things. You do need to show up as, an, um, as a nurturing parent. I think maybe that's what that guy was trying to say, but didn't know how to put it. It isn't you mm-hmm. can't be human. It isn't you can't feel. It is, it is taking the, the, the cue that once you are a nurturing parent or whatever new type of leader that cares about the humans, you're going to get it in the neck sometimes. They're not going to like it all the time. It's not going to be easy. But you'll always be honest. You'll always be true. You'll always care about their butts. And you'll always talk to them from the heart. That's all you need to do, I think. Well, I'm going to add one more thing. And you're always curious. You know, when, when people ask me, where do I start? I always say, start with a question and don't ask one question. Always ask two, because if I know I have to ask a second question, that means I have to actually listen to the answer for the first one. So often it's like, how are you? It's interesting how often people ask that in ways that are actually kind of not really appropriate. I I can't. So as we talked about last time, I'm going through the, the process of, of end of life care for my grandmother and she's passed. And so, you know, I have funeral people. How are you? And I'm like, why are you asking me this question? There's no decent, yeah, like, it's just so automatic because we just, it's, it's almost like, hello. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I want to talk about something actually that you touched on about this parent, child, <clears throat> adult model. So I work with a couple of companies right now who have either had a restructure or are going through a merger. And they've hired us to help the team build skills and capabilities to navigate that difficult challenge, right? So we focus on helping people build these skills based on the, the, the research and neuroscience about what helps us navigate challenges more effectively, right? So building resiliency, if you want to call it that. Um, and it's just interesting because you can look at that two ways. You could say that's the company saying, suck it up, and uh, here's why you – if you feel bad, um, that there's a gap for you and like, mm-hmm. let's fill that gap or how I, which is not how I see it. Um, obviously, cause, um, I don't want to be in that space is, Hey, we understand this is difficult. Sometimes difficult decisions have to be made and we want to give you skills and capabilities to navigate those more effectively. That's what the world health organization says we should do. Right. Right. But often we find, uh, the mindset, of employees is that I have to find someone to blame and it's going to be le- this generic leadership or, yeah. you know, these, this kind of parent model. So uh, we have to try to holistically, not just from a leader perspective, but from an employee perspective, start to see the human in everyone, including the people we work with and the people we work for. True. I would, I mean, I don't want to, you know, offer advice that's unsolicited. I lie, I do. Uh, <laughs> but what, what I do usually, or what we do at People Not Tech when we go into um, teams that are new and uh, teams that, because they've been bought or restructured, um, is I always start with a, with a bitch fest because you can be sure they have a lot on their their shoulder and I feel like until all those chips are on the table um, and the bitch fest is a play we do with 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 teams where um, in a very structured fashion we ask them what's on their mind right if I were CEO what 
would I do? If in the last five years, the best thing would have been 2X. All of the things that no one has ever asked you as an employee, in particular in the light of a big change. And um, what we found is that it just pushes that team through the roof immediately as soon as they've opened up to each other about how they feel about the topic. And they just all of us, then you can have a different, right, how old do we, you know, do it. But the fact that it's so rare, if you wish, that any of these big cultural moves and, and, and actions exist, exist anywhere does my head in. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I mean, companies are purchasing other companies every day, mm-hmm. every minute, without having checked for one second what kind of people they have in it and what kind of culture they have in it. None. Mm-hmm. Ask investors the truth about the culture due diligence they do and they'll tell you it doesn't exist they do not they get a feeling they talk to the founders for a lunch or two that's it everyone else maybe will deal with it but they don't you can't just deal with everyone else they go in they function with these people whatever those people are in particular when you're talking about you know that gap between a startup and the scale up right anywhere from 50 to 2000 people well, 1000 people which is where our economies really move which is where we make all of these things which is where all the innovation happens those are places where you can't recycle the entire everyone right you can't and plus you wouldn't do it even if you want to no one just comes in and sends everyone away and gets new people in that doesn't exist only in the movies so what ends up happening is you do a lot of due diligence financially you you do some due diligence technology wise not enough and you do no due diligence on people you get in and then those companies no matter how much pressure you put on 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 transformation don't end up making it but what happens to these people then and those companies right these are startup guys that have worked their asses off and now they've been like bought by some unknown entity that kind of it's it's hard right it's a hard time in everyone's life but but those would should have been the moments when when by default you'd have an audit of where you are on your on your human debt a clear team do we all agree on these bloody principles do we all know what why and this is how we're working how can it be that that never happens why don't we have a team relaunch in every goddamn team everywhere once every three months i it boggles my mind that these big things the due diligence the checks the the every time you have big change this should happen that they are not in the vocabulary of business what does that say yeah. about people? Yeah, well, actually, in 2022, I saw a couple articles that banks like Prudential, Aon, Bank of America were start were working on a mental health index as part of their due diligence. Very so good. in other words, how healthy are the employees? Right. So we look at we look at uh, I was talking to a health and safety person yesterday. And he said, you know, we look at the physical hazards. We're required to have safe workplaces, but we only look at the physical hazards. We don't look at the psychological hazards. And we have this well-documented. We know what those are, just like we know. I mean, we have fire drills, right? How many people have actually been in a fire at work? Not many, but we don't look at the, right? No problem. No problem. What happens when we get restructured? What happens if we get bought over? Let's have a drill. How will you feel if you're... Team changes. What if you start working yeah. from the office? All of those things. Yeah, we do crisis. We do crisis aversion, risk assessments, all these things. But uh, one of the things that came out last year as well, looking at people risk, 
the number one risk at the same level as cyber cyber attacks is mental health. And it was the lowest rated by companies. So highest risk by outside auditors looking at risk, lowest rated, lowest area of focus for companies. Because That's a huge gap. It's another topic that we shouldn't touch because we are professional. Which means what? <laughs> you don't understand. You don't, you shouldn't be talking about these personal things at work and you've lost it. That's why you're talking about it because you have this colorful hair and you don't understand that serious people in business don't talk about these things. But even if I, even if I don't want to talk about my, my personal life, right? I still have feelings. No, I still no, no, react. No, no, no. Now, if you are a real consummate professional and a good leader, you wouldn't. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is so when I started researching about restructures and and big big organizational changes, there's been all these psychological studies about the emotions that humans go through naturally that we never address in our change management plan. We've never addressed how do we handle the guilt and imposter syndrome in post-traumatic stress disorder of the survivors of a layoff? Never seen that on a change plan. Never seen it addressed with words. No one has said, how are you feeling that we left all of your friends die? Yes. A, a yes. rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy moment, and no one asks Rocket if he's okay. But <laughs> the first time I saw Guardians, and I have to use it before I forget it. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if we've landed at all on this um, mental health thing. I feel like we are at the cusp of making, of doing some wrong moves, if you wish, in the workplace on this topic, um, possibly, who knows. But the more I look into this, and you know, my new hyperfixation is this like neurodivergence at work and what has it done for us. And I'm really up in arms about people that call it a disability and, and the fact that we don't yet whatever really utilize what we learn from people that are already non-linear in their thinking. Uh, that's, yeah, it, it does my head in. But while researching this, I found a ridiculous amount of corporate, what, I don't know, um, integration of neurodivergence whitewashing, if you wish, with things like, uh, don't give uh, oral instructions to people. Look, I, no, I don't want to give an example because some of these things could have been useful for some of these people. So essentially uh, a baby of workplace adaptation for these people with, an inability, right? With this disability. I have a problem with how we put that. Mm. Uh, I don't want to think as, that I am someone with a disability who needs to be uh, kind of worked with in a certain fashion, but maybe I am. But shouldn't we all know how we should be worked with? I saw a TikTok the other day, we can, we can link it here, a genius one, where a guy was saying, uh, it was him in two different instances, obviously, talking to himself as the employer. So he, in one instance, he's the new employer and the new employee is autistic. And the new autistic employee comes in and says, oh, hi, here is a read me about me. And the guy goes, like, well, what the hell is this? Well, don't you have one? No. Well, this just says I would like clear communication. I don't like any changes of plans, if at all possible. So can you like warn me a lot? And these are just the ways that I feel better as a human being, if at all you could keep an eye on them. And the person says, oh, these are all your preferences. So are you like handicapped or something? No, it's just that this is what I need. Okay, fine. Uh, I heard you. And then puts the paper down and says, I, we're not going to do any of this. We're going to do my preferences. And the person that's autistic goes, okay, what are those? the employer just stops responding. And that is exactly the point. No one tells you what their bloody preferences are. No one tells you as, an, as a neurodivergent person, what is the world expecting out of us? Mm -hmm. 
Um, whereas we yeah. are pretty clear what to expect out of the world. And I think this is something that needs to be taken in by, by work. But, but, but one quick other point before I forget, because I will, um, is I am not surprised we're so behind on these things because we are much more behind on bigger things. I'll give you a big example. Um, everyone that listens to this should be familiar with the name of Ron Westrow who is probably the biggest mind behind any type of, of, of theory of organizational development ever. And, and if you strip away all of the hundreds of years of research and speak and talks and, and work he's done, you are left with the, the, the three buckets of three types of organization. And they are so true and so intrinsically clear that you have to wonder what the hell is the holdup that not every organization in the world sees this, uses this, and acts on this because they are either toxic or bureaucratic or generative. There are no other kinds. And if you are toxic and you are bureaucratic, bloody get to generative. It's not that hard. Um, but if this incredible man has said this incredible thing 30, 40 years ago, just like that amazing woman we have uh, in, in psychological safety, Amy Edmonds, that has been talking about this for 20 years and we don't do anything. What is the bloody holdup? Why do we know all these things and do not translate them to the business world? And, and how much runway do we think we have to keep ignoring them? I have a question. So what do people lose, especially those in power, when they move to a generative workplace or when they uh, create a psychologically safe workplace? What do they lose Their perception in your mind? The perception of power and control. And control. So if I have a psychologically safe workplace, that means people can question my decisions. That means that people will right, undermine my power, undermine, you know, under, and, and we have such insecurity and imposter syndrome that just winds its way up at the first, and the higher we go, as we know, the more the propensity for those things to become problematic, right? And so uh, it's all about this. It's all, I say it every time, it's all fear. <laughs> it's all fear. But, but here's another big one for you. And I, I will discuss this on our other podcast as well, because we've talked about it all night last night with, uh, with Dave on, on the porch, which is if we want to remove all fear, yeah, from the enterprise, and we absolutely do, we all agree, right? We shouldn't bloody, but why? Should you have any fear at work? It's an insane theoretical concept. Like you go there to give something of yourself that's a skill, they take it, they use it, goodbye. Like that transaction should not imply any fear. It's insane. Hold on, before you move off of that, yeah. Here are, the, here are the things I hear. I hear one, people will take advantage. Two, people don't like to work. This belief that people don't like to work, which is kind of BS because uh, uh, bore out is actually more detrimental to us than burnout. So being people aren't actually innately lazy. They actually like to work. It's helpful to our mental health. And that, that you'll get taken advantage of, that they'll, it's a waste of money. I mean, there's a, a there's this kind of negative bias towards other humans. But uh, and I, we know that well, we think we can keep that back, right? We, Sorry, I, I don't know if we can or we can't. But I think we can. We have to um, arrive to where we 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 get more honest about this. Because if we are going to take fear out of the enterprise, which we said we want, we want, we want, we absolutely do. We want no one to be fearful. But we also agree that fundamentally people do get motivated by either the the the, the threat of something or the promise of something. That isn't something mm. you know corporate America has has uh, come up with. We've motivation wise, characteristics do exist. It's not it's a 
it's the way psychology works. It's not being unpleasant. But if you, if we say, so stick shouldn't be a work instrument, right? We shouldn't be telling people off, punishing them. That shouldn't be a fear instrument. But how much carrot are we leaving people with then? If we only have to power them with pleasure and enjoyment of work, when are we doing that then? Because I think in the same breath in which we say we're removing fear, we have to say, and we're replacing it with people enjoying their work and then being participatory and then being invested and then being so engaged that they will fucking wake up earlier to do it. Then you... Oh, no, lost me. (laughs) Well, we got most of you, but you're talking about the the carrot. Yeah, so I think... uh, I think that people, uh, again, the fear is hiding behind the stick, right? right. And that, that's a feeling of power and uh, control. Right. And, and the question is, uh, I don't know if you heard that part, have we replaced it with the, 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 the carrot? Right. What's what the is carrot? the carrot? Where's the carrot? Yeah. People give people enough carrot and they'll work for you overnight when you don't want them to. I, I and the carrot you, doesn't I, have to be money. We always think the carrot no, is money. The no, carrot is not, not money. It's not. And I'll be very honest, and I don't know if I should say this because my team is going to be a bit taken aback, but they know this from me as well. When I do my job as a leader enough and they are motivated enough, I have to keep them from working that hard. Um, like literally, I have to tell them to lay off, not do it now, tell them priorities are not that high because I can see them really going too hard so i don't people can get the the meaning of of going behind the purpose that you believe in is so heavy that you don't need anything else so your only job as a leader is to remember what the bloody purpose is and keep getting it out of your humans in a way that means something for them easier said than done so okay so we've covered a lot of ground i don't know what time it is because i can't see my screen so i have no idea how long it is I have no idea how long we've been talking either. That that's okay. Oh, thirty-three well, minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I just want to kind of su- recap mm. for for the secret society folks, right? What are if you were going to say what are three things that you can get started on today to start this work as a in, in the ways we've been talking about? What would those three things be in your mind? I would first and foremost sit down with myself with a cup of whatever is your favorite drink and go, what do I genuinely 100% believe in and can put my weight behind when it comes to my work, right? What makes me happy? What can I tell other people? When I am clear on that purpose, I don't need to have sticks as a leader and I can then go harder. So one crystal clarify your purpose and if you have none and you just want to die and you don't want to be in that company none of this conversation is useful for you because we're not going to be able to make people into human work advocates or human death fighters who just want to die yeah let's be clear if you're one of those super motivated leaders this is not a conversation for you i urge you to get out uh, but if you're in, one, figure out what, what you're left with purpose-wise, passion-wise. Try and get your people to, to hear it from you. At least tell them, you know what? I spent the afternoon thinking about this, and I still believe we can change the world in X, Y fashion. Mm-hmm. Go talk to them. That's the number one thing I would say, though. And then just just strengthen your own brand. As, a, as we say this over and over again, the, the stronger you feel that you have landed on the idea of why you have to be kind and empathic and and get these people along the further you go 
surround yourself with other people. That's what the secret society is for. So you know that others are doing the same things. You're not alone. You're not the only crazy idiot screaming in the in the in the in the woods. Those are the three. So I love that. So uh, I would have said many of the same things, of course, because this is why you and I talk to each other. But the first thing is be really clear about your why. And it can't be because I got paid more. If, if that's your why, which I've heard, um, yeah, that's going to be a struggle. Uh, find your why then. And then two, uh, I think this is kind of like your second, but maybe slightly different, which is be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself for anything you've done in the past that doesn't align with that why. Recognize this is difficult. It's not easy. Um, and that 70% of leaders are terrible. So your goal is to not be in that group and to uh, just take care of yourself. You're going to mess up. You're going to do some things wrong. Um, but be patient and kind to yourself. Practice that self-compassion. Because if you aren't well, you can't take care of your team. And then I agree with you totally, Dwena. One of the ways of being self-compassionate is to connect with other humans and to find find your group, find your tribe, find your community, however you want to think about it. Be, be that, you know, a best friend at work, um, be it, you know, people through this secret society, um, just whatever it is, humans do better when we connect to other humans and we see similar that we aren't alone. When, okay, I've either I've been through this before and I can do it again, or this is I've seen other people who've been through this and they've been okay. Like that connection is a way of creating that self compassion. So those those would be my my three places to start. I think that's there are no other places at all than those three. Those are amazing, and and honestly, I, one thing I always remind people about, which is it's tried and you've heard it a hundred times, but whenever leaders ask me for what would you use as a motto or as a mantra, I always say start every conversation with a deep breath when you say to yourself, I'm human, they're human. And after you say that, everything would be different. Love that. All right. Well, I'm human. You're human. Our listeners are human. The dog is snoring. It's not human. The parrot was squawking. It's uh, not secret. We're good. <laughs> but we'll see you guys online um, and you can hear us next week. Um, we'll also start chatting to, we have a couple of things we're announcing that will be interesting, I think, to everyone. So we're going to hear a lot more voices soon. Thank you. Thanks so and much. We'll Bye. see you soon. Bye.